welcome to 15 Minutes on the Way, Season 4, a podcast in God's voice telling His side of your story. If it's been a while since you listened to the last episode, you might want to go back and refresh yourself with the details of Samson having killed a lion on one trip and then found a beehive inside the chest cavity of the dead lion in the next trip before you listen to this episode. Because for some reason, Samson thinks this whole beehive in the lion chest cavity phenomenon is really neat. So neat, he turns it into pretty much the main event at his wedding feast. It's a modest company with 30 guests, so Samson says he'll give them each two new outfits if they can guess his riddle. Conversely, they'll give him the same 60 new garments if they miss. He then proceeds to pose them this as the riddle. Out of the eater, something to eat. Out of the strong, something sweet. That We're in Judges 14, at verse 14. They don't have to come with a riddle in return like Bilbo Baggins. They just need to find the answer. Before we get to their answer, notice what this riddle says about Samson. He's got what I call the Samson swagger. This riddle is all about him, all about his tearing that lion apart. In essence, this is all one big boast, a way for him to get to tell the story to everyone about how great and strong he is. And it may seem like a harmless exercise, but keep in mind, Samson's the outsider here in a Philistine town marrying a beautiful young Philistine woman. In one fell impulsive swoop, Samson has just set the whole town up to look too stupid to solve a simple food riddle that ultimately points to his superiority over them in strength and, dare I say it, wit. Not a great way to have the in-laws and their people take a liking to you, Samson. Clearly, the man has difficulty thinking things and their consequences through to their logical end. Did I mention they've got seven days to figure it out? Wedding celebrations in this habitat take a while, or at least a full week. Now, these wedding guests don't play fair, because on day four, after having come up with nothing on their own, they not only ask Samson's new wife to find out the answer for them, they threaten to burn her dad's house down, with the household inside it, if she doesn't. These folks obviously take their honor seriously and are not about to be made fools of by some Israelite bumpkin. Her family in danger, Samson's fresh wife has no trouble turning on the waterworks, telling Samson he's hurt her feelings by not telling her the answer to the riddle. And, as we already know, Samson's a sucker for the ladies, and he caves into her and gives her the answer. She relays it to her people, and they provide the honeyed lion answer just in the nick of time. Like most people who are accustomed to getting their way all the time, Samson's got himself a bit of a temper. He could have laughed it off and gone shopping for new clothes for his guests, but that wouldn't do at all for Samson. No, he first has to insult them all, including his wife, with a rude double entendre image that calls her a heifer and indicates that she's submitted to their yoke and their plow, so to speak. 
then to satisfy the requirements he placed upon the loser of the wager, thirty double outfits of clothing, Samson heads to the town of Ashkelon, a couple towns over in the Philistine heartland, not to the market there. No, that wouldn't incite the hatred of another townload of Philistines. His insult to the folks in Timnah has taken care of that whole population in that regard. You can almost hear him talking to himself on the way there. They want thirty new changes of clothes? I'll give him thirty changes of clothes. And what does he do? He kills thirty Ashkelon men and takes their clothes back to the wedding guests at Timnah. Needless to say, that marriage doesn't last long. Samson has no room for a wife who betrays him before their reception is even over, and she has likewise been spectacularly offended by his bovine entendre. He storms back to his parents' home. His wife, in accordance with habitat standards, goes home with the best man, since she's no longer a virgin, thus no longer welcome in her father's house. Blame the habitat people, not me. Well, there's a long and ugly crescendo from this first chain of events to the last sequence most of you are already familiar with at the end of Samson's life. He's got a volatile swirl of strength, lust, and temper that continually escalates tensions with the Philistines. After he's cooled off from the wedding mess, he decides he misses his wife after all, or at least her bed, and heads back to Timna just as the grain is ripe and ready for harvest in the fields. That ripe grain detail is not a cozy way to set the scene, though. You see, when Samson learns his wife is now married to the best man, uh, obviously a Philistine who took the role since unlikable Samson didn't bring his own best man from home. When Samson learns his wife is now married to the best man, his temper flares up. And speaking of flares, Samson takes vengeance on the whole town by setting their grain, vineyards, and olive groves afire. Of course, the man's a drama king, so it won't do to just light them himself. He's got to be creative and catch a whole bunch of foxes, tie lit torches to their tails, then turn them loose on the fields. And the burning isn't over. The Philistines find out why Samson's done this, his father-in-law giving Samson's wife away, so they torch her and her father, not their house, torch them which of course sets Samson off again, and he slaughters a mess of Philistines, which peeves them and, can you say escalation? Ever the creative one, in angry vengeance, Samson kills a thousand Philistines using only a donkey's jawbone as a weapon. And the burning continues, only now it's burning lust that beds Samson with a prostitute in Gaza another of Philistia's five major cities. We're in Judges 15 now. By now, Samson is Philistia's most wanted, and he's an easy mark with seven long braids of hair and a beard that's never been shaved. Word spreads when he's seen headed in with her, and the men of Gaza figure they'll get him when he comes out in the morning. Samson isn't there for sleep, though, and he parts ways with the prostitute around midnight only to find the city gate locked tight for the night. Now, remember, in order to qualify for the category of city in that habitat, a perimeter wall and passage gates were necessary for protection. 
Not one to let a little detail like that hold him in place, Samson rips out the gate, posts and all. He could have just dropped it there, but our drama king has to rub Gaza's nose in his strength, so he hauls it away. Miles away. And finally, sometime later, Samson burns with love for Delilah, a woman living in Sorek, the valley between the lands of Israel and Philistia. Though she is often assumed to be another prostitute as the one visited in Gaza, Tom doesn't label her as such, though she does end up being all about the money. When the Philistine rulers learn of the depth of Samson's affection for Delilah, those rulers pay her a furtive visit and ask her to learn how Samson's freakish strength can possibly be undone. In exchange for this intelligence, they will reward her with over 5,000 pieces of silver, more money than you or even Jack Sparrow knows what to do with. So all your poems, movies, and operas about the great love affair between Samson and Delilah miss the mark when they have her reciprocate his feelings, friends. She's a mercenary through and through, and is in it for the cash. Even though it's strictly business for Delilah, she plays her part well, convincing Samson that she returns his affection. She even makes her asking for his weakness be proof of how much he means to her, along the lines of, Let there be no secrets between us, darling. What makes you so strong? And how can I tie you up so you can't get away from me? If you're catching a whiff of the earlier protestations of Samson's riddle-solving wife in Timna, you've got a good nose. But Delilah's a bona fide artist at this. Samson plays along with her shades of gray, of course, and tells Delilah that if he's bound with fresh bowstrings that haven't dried yet, he'll be paralyzed. Delilah passes this on to the Philistine leaders, and they head straight to bows and arrows are us so she can tie up her boyfriend after he's fallen asleep that night. The Philistines wait in the other room. They're clever fellows and are not going to come out until it's clear that Samson has really lost his super strength. Sure enough, when everyone's in their place and seven fresh bowstrings are wrapped around the superhero, Delilah hollers, Samson, get up! The Philistines are coming! And Samson's as free as the wind as those bowstrings snap like so much dried spaghetti noodles. The same thing repeats two more times, with new unused ropes as the next entry, and then an episode involving Samson's hair. But not that episode. Yet. This third time, Samson tells Delilah that if she weaves the seven locks of his long hair together into one big braid, and then binds them together with a pin from her loom, his strength will also be bound. But it is not. Delilah's not going to give up, though. She's got too much riding on this. And the drama king has met his match in this woman, let me tell you. She pours on the guilt now, telling Samson he's dealt cruelly with her, that if he really loved her, like he says he does, he'd tell her the truth. How can he love her and not trust her? And on and on, day after day, she does this, so that the strong man's wits are nearly at an end. Finally, just to bring an end to her endless upbraiding litany, 
Samson is literally sick to death of her nagging. He gives in and gives up the goods. My strength is from God. From my birth have I been set aside to him as a Nazarite for his use. As a sign of this, no blade nor razor has touched my head. If my head is shaved and the sign destroyed, my strength would leave me and I would become like any other man. Jackpot. But what's the deal with the emasculating haircut? Why has Samson's hair been so important all along? Well, Samson's hair, all of it, was put there by me, beginning when I wove him together inside his mother. So for him, and for anyone else taking a Nazarite vow of dedication to me, keeping their hair as I chose to give it to them from the very beginning is symbol of their faith in me. Just as no blade comes between their hair and their scalp, nothing comes between the Nazarite and me. Thus, to interpose a human tool in order to cut off the hair I have given Samson, the hair that represents all I have given him, including his strength, is to sever the connection between him and me. Now, please don't go letting your hair grow out, thinking you're going to be able to bench 400 pounds once it gets shoulder length. You'll recall that I dedicated Samson to myself before he was even conceived. In spite of his petulance and immaturity, I have been there with Samson the whole time. Until the moment Delilah cradles his sleeping head in her lap and signals the waiting Philistine to shear Samson's head of its voluminous locks like so much wool off a sheep. Samson sleeps the heavy sleep of the fearless, and once again Delilah must shout him awake with her warning that the Philistines have come for him though he thinks he'll shake off her latest attempt to bind him like the previous times, he cannot, and is indeed seized by the waiting Philistine rulers. By putting his affection for a beautiful woman ahead of his consecrated relationship with me, Samson has forfeited his gifted strength as a consequence. Oh, Samson! Ever led by the appetite of your eyes, whether for honey or sexual pleasure. And so the irony runs deep when the Philistine rulers gouge out Samson's eyes, the eyes that have gotten him into so much trouble, in order to permanently incapacitate him, regardless of whether his strength could ever return. Delilah retires in fabulous wealth and is never heard from again. Samson is taken to the Philistine port of Gaza in chains, change that could not have held him for a minute the day before, but now Samson is powerless to do anything but obey the Philistines' orders. He is jailed and made to push the prison millstone in endless circles like a dumb ox, grinding grain for his captor's bread. Be careful, friend. Living for your appetites alone will take you to places you never imagined you would ever be. Good reason to stay on the way with me. Thanks for listening. We hope this episode has been a blessing to you. We've got a lot of wonderful ground to cover in future episodes. If you'd like to support what we do, share this with your friends. There's a link to the first episode right under today's podcast on our website, 15minutesontheway.com. Don't spell out the number. 
and feel free to give us a review on iTunes or on Facebook. 15 Minutes on the Way is sponsored by the Oak Haven Church in the Barn in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. Oleksandr Zadoyani writes our theme music at smartmediamusic.com. Kenny Eicher designs our website art, kennyeicherart.com. We hope today's podcast has reminded you that you, friend, are part of an epic story that is still unfolding today. So keep walking on the way. And until next time, be good to yourself.